And we've talked already in the book of Romans, we've seen that there is a God who we're accountable to. He says uh, that God is revealing his wrath from heaven against all ungodliness. There's a God that made us and that we're accountable to him. He has uh, authority over us. He made us in his image and he's a loving and just God. He loves us, so he wants to pull us into relationship with us. Yet there's a justice in him that demands him to punish our sin, which moves us to us. We're created in God's image. We're made to look like him, to reflect him, to to reflect his character. But we choose not to do that at various times, right? We choose to not love when he calls us to love. We choose to not be truthful when he calls us to be truthful. And that results in us being hopelessly separated from him. So we have a God who's just, who has to punish our sins. Yet we have a father who loves us and wants to draw us back in. So he sent his son, Jesus, in the flesh who lived the life that we could never live to die the death that we deserve to die and rose uh, rose to new life to defeat our two greatest enemies, sin and death. Now we're to that part where we respond. How do we respond to this truth? And that one word that we use to respond is faith. It's faith. We respond in faith. We've talked about a little bit how faith is our response to it. It's the flip side of repentance. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. When we repent of our sins, that means we're not trusting in them anymore, but we're trusting in Jesus. We have faith in Jesus. So this morning, as we look to uh, this this next state of um, this next part of it, we're going to be looking at the next part of our faith or next part of Abraham showing us what faith is. And when you think about it, I want you to think of um, timing. Think of timing. How, how awesome is timing? Have you ever felt like you've just seen something and it was the perfect timing? You just love something to time out right. One day I was uh, supposed to meet Whitney uh, in St. Louis. I was living in, we were living in Louisville. She had come back to Oklahoma um, for a time and we were supposed to meet in St. Louis to, to I was supposed to meet there to pick her up Well, her friend uh, Christine was driving her there and I had to meet them there and I had to calculate in my mind Okay, it's Whitney and Christine together. No way. They're leaving on time No way they're gonna get there at the time. They think they're gonna get there. So I had to calculate in my mind. Okay uh, My Emma's four and a half from St. Louis. I'm four four from St. Louis. So I had to calculate in my mind We plan to meet at Culver's. If you've never had Culver's, you need to go there. But we met at the Culver's there. We pulled into the parking lot at the same time. It was beautiful. I'm talking, we we pulled in to the parking lot at the same time. Timing's amazing. You love to see something work out on time. Or maybe you've seen uh, a video on, on the internet or something of somebody just narrowly missing some kind of uh, near-death experience by just a, a fraction of a second. Like they're walking in front of the building and all of a sudden the piano falls right behind them. Had they hesitated for half a second, they would have gotten hit. But the timing worked out perfectly to where the piano fell right after that moment where they walked by. Timing is everything. If you've ever seen a comedian tell a joke, Really, the joke isn't as important as the timing of telling the joke. Timing is important. We're going to see today that the timing of Abraham's circumcision makes all the difference in the world for our faith that was passed down to us from him. The timing of his circumcision makes all the difference in our faith. And Abraham now, because of that, he proves to be an example of how The blessing of justification is available to all people through faith in the God who brings life to the dead. 
Abraham is the example and he proves that the blessing of justification is available for all people who have faith in God, in the God who brings life to the dead. Now let's pick up in verse 8 of our chapter, of chapter 4. Let's pick up in verse 8. We're going to read um, down through verse 25, but we're going to do it a section at a time. So that way we don't read all those at one time. Let's pick up in verse 8 and it says this. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Then Paul goes on to talk about that blessing in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not or it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who would believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who walk, who also walk in the footsteps of of the faith of our father Abraham, who had, who, was circum, who had been circumcised. So we see that this verse calls us, or refers to Abraham as our father. In what way is he our father? What does that mean that he's our father? What that means is we follow in his footsteps. We walk in the way that he walks. And what does that mean? Well, number one, that means that you and Abraham were both made right before a ritual. You and Abraham were both made right before a ritual. As Paul gets into this, he points about that blessing of justification being made right with God. He says that that comes before a ritual. So we see the timing of Abraham's circumcision. It wasn't after he had faith, but it was before he had faith. Or sorry, he had faith before the ritual, right? The ritual came after. God gave him this, this ordinance of circumcision after he had faith. And it wasn't just like the next day or the next week. It was actually years later that Abraham finally was circumcised because the faith that Abraham had came before. It was what made him righteous with God. It said that it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. So the timing of Abraham's circumcision is important because it came before the ritual. So we see the timing of it, but we also see the meaning of that circumcision in this. It says it refers to that circumcision as a sign or a seal, a sign or a seal of the righteousness that he had. It was a sign pointing to something. It was an outward sign that was pointing to an inward reality in Abraham, that he had faith. Now, as you think about a sign, what's the point of a sign? A sign is not the thing itself, right? If you're on a road trip and you're headed to Joplin, maybe, and you see, well, let's not use Joplin, you choose another place. You're, you're going to some place you've never been before. Maybe you're, you're going to Chicago to visit for the first time. And you see a road sign as you're driving through and you stop and you take a picture with that road sign and say, look, I'm with Chicago. No one's going to believe you, right? They're going to say, that, that's not Chicago. Something's wrong with you. Because a sign is not the thing itself. A sign is not the thing itself. Or think about a man who's gone off the war. He takes a photo of his wife, right? He takes that photo of her and maybe he keeps it in his helmet or something like that. And he'll look at that photo often, right? But there's nothing 
or that, that looking at that photo and appreciating that photo is nothing like being in her warm embrace, holding her. That's different, right? The sign or the picture of his wife is not the, his wife herself. In the same way, the sign that Abraham received was not the blessing. It was not the thing that made him righteous. It was simply pointing to the righteousness that he had. Now, if you think of that compared to our ritual, I said you and Abraham were both made right before ritual. Abraham's ritual that was given to his people, the Jewish people, was circumcision. The ritual that's given to us, the sign that's given to us, is baptism. We are given baptism as an outward sign pointing toward an inward reality. Now, if you think about that, we have to, we're in the same order as Abraham. We have to have those two things in order. You have to have your baptism on the right side of your salvation. You should be saved or made right before God through faith. And then baptism is a thing that points to that being made right. Not, I get baptized so that I might become right later on. That's not how it works. Just like Abraham. It was given to him before to show that faith is what makes us righteous. In the same way, our baptism is given to us after we have faith. But we also do need to give baptism its proper respect, right? Abraham was made right and then years later was given a way to, to display that outwardly and he followed in it. Our baptism is important. We don't want to neglect it to say, hey, baptism is not a big thing because all we care about is the inside. No, that's not, that's not the way it works, right? We all have, a, a, if you're married, you have a wedding ring. Now that wedding ring, if you were to lose it, that doesn't mean you're not married anymore, right? But if you lost it, it would hurt because that wedding ring means something to you. It's important. In the same way that if that guy was out at war that we mentioned earlier and he had that photo of his wife, if he lost it, that wouldn't mean that he lost his wife. But man, that would probably hurt to lose that one photo he had of her. So when we think of baptism, we want to have a proper right view of this sign. We don't want to make it out to be something it's not. It's not some magical thing that makes us right when we receive it. But it is an important thing that we as Christians should do to display what's going on in our heart. So the meaning of Abraham's circumcision, that outward sign, is the same as our, the meaning for our baptism. An outward sign and seal of what's happened in our hearts. But notice that there's a purpose to Abraham's circumcision as well. There's a purpose to it. And it was to make him the father of all who believe. You see that in verse 11. In the middle of it, it says, The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So the, the timing of Abraham's circumcision was so important because it makes him the father not only of those who are of the Jewish faith, but also those who are outside the Jewish faith. He can be the father for us all because of the timing of that ritual. This means that you don't have to be a Jewish person to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Jewish person to be right with God. That's really good news because I'm going to guess that the majority of us in here are not Jewish. We probably do not have Jewish descent. And if we do, we don't have very much of it. We, we are not Jewish people. So it's a good thing that Abraham was circumcised after his faith or made right before his circumcision because that makes it possible for us in this room to be made right with God. We don't have to be a Jew to be close to God. We don't have to be a Jew to be close to God. And notice also how this opens up the door for world missions. What a crazy connection, right? To think that 
The fact that Abraham was made right before his circumcision opens the door to world missions. What that means is you can go anywhere in the world right now and share your faith with somebody who's not Jewish and they can believe and they can trust and they can be made right with God. Anywhere in the world, you can do that. World missions is made possible by this concept that we're justified by faith and not works. Anywhere you can go, you can go to China, you can go to South America, you can go to Africa, to any people speaking any language from any culture, and the the tool that you take with you, the gospel, can change their life. Because it's a salvation that comes through faith and not by works. It's a salvation that comes through faith, not works. And when you do share the gospel with somebody from another country, or another nation, or another nationality, you now have the same forefathers they do. Have you ever thought about that? We have the same forefathers as every other Christian on the planet because Abraham is our forefather. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are our forefathers. Now, our forefathers, if I were to ask you that question outside of this context, who are your forefathers? We'd all probably have some different answers, right? Some of us would would point toward um, the the forefathers of this country, right? The the founding fathers. Maybe you'd point towards people back across the pond in England. Maybe you'd point to the Native Americans who were here before us, before, before the Westerners. We'd all refer to different forefathers. But when we really think about it, in faith, because of what Christ has done, because salvation is through faith, we all have the same forefather, who's Abraham. He is our forefather. We share an identity with all other Christians in this world. So you and Abraham were both made right before a ritual. You were both made right before a ritual. But you and Abraham also, the, another way that Abraham is your father is that you and Abraham both have a guarantee. You and Abraham both have a guarantee. Verse 13 says this. We're going to pick up from 13 and read through 16. It says the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null And the promise is void for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Paul makes the point here that that justification, not only does it come before ritual, it also comes to us apart from the law, apart from the law of Moses. Abraham was made right before the law of Moses, before the Ten Commandments, before all those commandments were given. Abraham was made right with God through faith. And he says it had to be this way. This process of being saved by grace through faith had to be the process so that the promise could be guaranteed. See, if God made a promise to you based on your performance in that promise, all of us would fail and the promise would be void. That's what he says when he says um, in verse, what was that verse? 14, yeah. For For if it was the adherents of the law who were made heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. What he means by that is if the promise 
was made based on your performance in that promise, it would fail. 100% guaranteed it would fail. That would be the guarantee, right? That failure would be the guarantee. But because it's made based on, the, based on faith, then it can be guaranteed not only to Abraham, but also to us. Because Abraham received the promise that he would, uh, he would bless the whole world through his descendants, and that in some sense he would inherit the world through that. And he has been guaranteed that because... It's not just those who are under the law who can be part of that promise, but those who are outside of the law as well. And just as much as Abraham was guaranteed that promise and he's seen that come to come to fruition, the promise that God gives to you for salvation is just as guaranteed because your salvation is not based on what you do for God. You are made right with God by faith. Now, all of us in here, if, if you've trusted in the Lord, if you've turned from your sins, and trusted in him, God looks at you through the cross and you are made right with him. You are made right with him. But I'm going to guess not all of us have lived an equally holy life since that day. Some of us have been saved for maybe a year. Some of us, some of us have been saved for decades. We all have a different life. Some of us, or even in your own life, there are times in your Christian walk where you've been more faithful to the Lord than you are right now. Or maybe the flip side, maybe you're more faithful now than you've ever been in the faith. But realize this, God doesn't think you're more right based on what you've done since you're a Christian. You were made right with him when you had faith in him the first time. When you first turned from your sins and trusted in him, you're just as right now as you were then. Because him seeing you as right or just is based on what Christ has done. And what you've done after that has not made him love you more or less. It doesn't make him see you as more right or less right. Because you were made right by faith in him. Yet, that's the truth that we have to hold to. Yet, we do live a holy life after that, right? We don't just say, hey, now that I've been made right with God by faith, I can live however I want. No, that's not how it works because we live out the faith that's been put into our hearts. We live out the faith that's been put into our hearts. Isn't that what verse 12 said? Because that the, the timing of Abraham's faith was to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, not merely doing something on the outside, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith. In the same way, we're to walk in the footsteps of the faith that we have. We live out that faith. We're made right through faith, but then we live out that faith as we, as we grow. So you and Abraham were both made right before you performed a ritual. You and Abraham have both received a guarantee for the promise that God has given you. And finally, you and Abraham both have faith in a God who brings life to the dead. You and Abraham both have faith in a God who brings life to to the dead. Let's read in verse 17. It says this, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Then he goes on to describe Abraham and his faith. It says, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, 
so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But these words, it is counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, Abraham believed in a God who was able to bring life to a dead situation. And you do too. See, Abraham was put in a humanly impossible situation. Abraham was put in a humanly impossible situation. His body, being 100 years old, was as good as dead. He looked at his body and basically said, I've got one foot in the grave. This body ain't good for anything else. Yet, he received a promise that he would receive an inheritance of nations. Not only was his body as good as dead, he looked at his wife's barrenness as well. She would have been around the same age as him, and they had assume, assume it, we can assume that they had spent years trying to have a child. They were likely married for decades and had gone through decades of being childless and barren. And to be in that situation, you know the heartache. We see that in women all around the world, even women who have trouble having a child, their first child. It can be heartbreaking to feel the weight of that and to think, to just go through one, two, three months of being barren really starts to weigh on a woman's heart. Can you imagine three, four, five decades of not having a child? That would have seemed impossible for Sarah. That would have seemed impossible for Abraham. And they were put in a humanly impossible situation so that it could prove that Abraham had no hand in his salvation. He had no hand in making this promise come to pass. As a matter of fact, when Abraham tried to have a hand in this, he messed things up. When he tried to um, go around God's, God's promise of giving him a son through his wife, Sarah, he tried to have a, a son through a, a handmaiden of Sarah's. And that messed a lot of things up. Abraham was put in this impossible situation to show that he had no, um, uh, he had, he put no hand to making this happen. And not only was Abraham put in that humanly impossible situation, um, his faith grew through that. Right? When he heard those words, you'll have your, your children will be as, as many as the stars in the sky. When he heard those words, he believed in that moment. He had faith in that moment, yet his faith grew as well. His faith grew as well. In verse nine or verse 20. It says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew in his, grew, uh, in his faith. If, you're, if you know your Bible very well and you know the story of Abraham, it's really hard for you to read those words that he did not weaken in his faith. It's hard to say that he um, did not waver in his faith 
Because it sure feels like Abraham wavered in his faith when you read his story. And when he came into Egypt, he lied about his wife. He didn't trust that God would protect him. Um, When he knew that he was supposed to have a child, but he saw that having a child was impossible, he, in some sense, didn't have faith in that. So how can we look back at Abraham and say, this guy never faltered, this guy never wavered. No unbelief caused him to leave the path. I think that's because God, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our faith, we're made right by that faith initially, and then God graciously holds us in the faith despite our best efforts to leave it. Despite our best efforts to get out of the faith, God holds us in the faith because the faith that we receive is not something that we muster up. Remember, Abraham was put in this impossible situation to show that he had no hand in it. Even the faith that he had was a gift from the Lord. And the fact that he held that faith was a miracle in and of itself. God gave him the faith and God held him in the faith. And as we look back on Abraham's life, now on this side of the cross, we can look back and say, man, Abraham never faltered. He was held in the faith that whole time. He never wavered. He trusted in the God who brings life from death. So Abraham was in a humanly impossible situation, but Abraham believed in a divinely powerful God. He believed in a divinely powerful God who brought life to a dead situation, to Abraham's life, whose body was as good as dead, and to Sarah's womb, which was as good as dead. That was a dead situation to which God brought life. And that's the kind of faith that God looks for in a human looks for in you the faith that trusts in God in the midst of an, an impossible and difficult situation that seems like it cannot, it cannot go good. That's the kind of faith that the Lord wants to see in us. One that believes that he can bring death to life. Abraham believed in a God that can bring death to life and you also believe in that same God. That's what happened to you. That's what happens to us when we believe in faith. Because verse 23 says this, These words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Because it's going to be counted to us as righteousness if we believe. And this proves that he can bring life where there's death. Jesus, through his life, God brought life where there was death, right? Jesus died, truly died, as much as any of us will die. He died for our sins. And those three days probably would have seemed very impossible for those disciples to think, well, what was the point of all that? But but God brought Jesus back to life to show that he has power over death. And when Jesus died, he died to pay your debt. But what proves that that death paid your debt? His resurrection, That's why it says in verse 25, he was delivered for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. We often associate Jesus's death with our justification. He died to make us right. But his resurrection plays a role in that as well, because it proves that he was able to pay that debt that you had. His resurrection proves that he was able to pay that debt, uh, pay the debt that you had. And now anyone who has faith in Jesus can walk in the footsteps of the father Abraham to believe in a God who brings life to the dead. And to remind us that the miracle that happened in your life of you being raised from dead in sin to alive in Christ, that's one of the greatest miracles there's ever been. 
Because if you think back to when uh, Jesus was telling a parable about Lazarus, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, that rich man went to hell, uh, Lazarus went to heaven, and he talked to Father Abraham, who's in our story here. He talked to Abraham and said, Abraham, would you send somebody back to my brothers? Send, send Lazarus back to my brothers. Send somebody from the dead to go tell them the truth so they don't end up where I am. And Abraham tells him, even if I send somebody from the dead, that's not going to do it for them. Why? Because as impossible as it was for Sarah to have a child in her old age, and impossible as it was for Abraham to have a child in his old age, it's more impossible for you, a sinner, dead in sin, to be made right with God. That is impossible from a human standpoint. It is impossible for you to overcome the debt of sin in your life. But we believe in a God that brings death, life, to a dead situation. And you were spiritually dead. And to have faith in the God that can bring life to that dead situation, that is what God looks for in us. And not only does he do that in our life, not only does he bring life um, to our dead situation, he then uses us to make this known. Remember what, the, what we just have studied here about faith being made or justification coming through faith. The implications that has for our church, for missions, for all these things. God uses us now, now that we have faith in Jesus, he uses us to make these same things possible in other people's life. Being justified by faith enables us, this little congregation here in Commerce America, to make big impact in the people in our community. God can do that because of this faith that we have. And God can do mighty things through you. So this morning, as we think about this God who has, through faith, made it possible that there would be a church, right? Justification through faith makes it possible that there would be a church, not only in this town, but all around the world. Let's sing to that God who, who, who made that possible. Actually, let's sing this next song to think about and what it means that we would be the church of God. Because the next song we're going to sing is, O Church Arise. And it's going to talk about how God not only saves us through this justification, but then uses us to make great things happen. And how we as the church are not just saved so that we can say, hey, look at how great we are for being saved and justified. He also raises us up and saves us that he might use us to do mighty and great things that other people could know this justification as well. So let's pray and let's sing this next song.